If your business is tired of paying unpredictable and high phone bills, do what I did. Switch to Zoom Call's cloud business phone service. You'll pay the same low amount every month, no matter how many calls you have in the U.S. and Canada. And Zoom Calls has a really cool feature called voicemail drops. Whenever you reach someone's voicemail, just say hi in their name and then click a couple of buttons on your phone to leave your pre-recorded message. It saves both your voice and your time. Check out zoomcalls.com. That's zoomcalls.com. I think you'll love it. Attention, you're listening to the Todd Huff Radio Show, America's home for conservative, not bitter talk radio. Be advised that the content of this program has been documented to prevent and even cure liberalism, and listening may cause you to lean to the right. Here's your conservative, but not bitter host, Todd Huff. Conservative, not bitter indeed. Yes, you are listening to the home of conservative, not bitter talk. And I am your host, Todd Huff. Email Todd at ToddHuffShow.com, Facebook.com slash Todd Huff Show. For those that want to watch the program live or on demand, it is a pleasure to be here. Thank you for joining us. Happy Monday, and we have um, a lot to talk about today. A lot to talk about as we are now just about six weeks out from the election. I want to talk um, about what happened on Friday and what has happened since then. Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who has been uh, struggling um with a variety of of health problems, cancer, uh, for some time, tragically passed away on on Friday, and you know I there is a lot to talk about with this, but I think the first thing that has to happen is we have to we have to realize that and just take a, a moment to be to be human. Sometimes I wonder. Sometimes I wonder how much better off this country would be if we could just be people for a moment. I know that there are obviously some political, I don't know, connotations when I say the name Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And I understand that. But I will say that first and foremost, Ruth Bader Ginsburg was a human being, was a human being that she has family who is dealing with her loss. And I just think we need to take a moment to remember that, that we all at the end of the day are are people. I'm not saying ideology and what people do as members of the Supreme Court, justices of the, of the Supreme Court don't matter. That's not at all what I'm saying. I think we need to separate those two things. I think we need to give um, a couple of a little bit of moment here to recognize the accomplishments that she, uh, that Ruth Bader Ginsburg has made. What you think about her ideology, the way that she made rulings on the court, whatever that aside. Um, it's a remarkable, it, it's, it's a, there's a story. There's always, 
there's always a story. And I want to say, too, that she actually, when I was at American University back in 1999, we went one early morning, my class did, to the Supreme Court. We heard two cases. I'd have to look up what those cases were, to be honest with you. Got there really early. I'm going to think it was it was in the springtime, April, I think. Um, got a beautiful picture. The Capitol was glowing pink that morning when the sun was rising. It was very, very beautiful, but we were waiting in line there uh, to enter the Supreme Court. We heard oral arguments for two cases. And then after that, we were addressed by one of the Supreme Court justices. And the Supreme Court justice that addressed our class was Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And she was she was gracious and kind and, you know, shared some things about the court and her role and that sort of thing. And it was interesting. And so I just think that we need to take a time, a moment, a moment. Now, there's going to be a obviously ensuing conversation here about the politics of this, but the the humanity of this needs to be addressed up top first and first and foremost. And so having said that. Having said that, one of the, uh, I guess, storylines coming out of the weekend was the report um, through Ruth Bader Ginsburg's granddaughter. I want to say it was Clara Spira. I'd have to look that up. I don't have that in front of me. The report is that one of the last things uh, that she told apparently her granddaughter was that Kind of her her last request and wish was that the her seat not be filled until after after January of well of twenty twenty once the new president or at least after the election won that she wanted to wait until the next president was elected until her seat was filled. Of course, the left hopes that this is Biden. The left wants Biden to fill the court. The Republicans and conservatives say that Trump has the opportunity and the power now. And, of course, presumably, we don't know, but the votes in the Senate, since Republicans have a majority, but there's, of course, political hesitations to this. And we'll get all into all that in a moment as, as the program unfolds today. But that was uh, reported that her dying wish was that she her seat on the Supreme Court not be filled until basically next uh, 20, uh, 2021. So this has created that. Well, that in and of itself didn't create that. This is just another dimension to this. We're talking about the humanity of, of the situation, and that's that's what's being reported as her as her dying wish, so to speak. Don't fill my seat until after the next president is is elected. And so this combined with all the other discussions about the, the Supreme Court seat has erupted into something out of control. In fact, if you read some of these tweets and comments from radical leftists about whether or not Trump should fill this seat or not, in fact, Trump's out there saying you know, the crowds are chanting, fill this seat. While leftists, this is an article on Breitbart, people on Twitter vow violence if McConnell tries to replace Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And I want to read a couple of these tweets. 
Here's one from Reza Aslan. If they try, even try to replace RBG, we burn the entire blanking thing down. Burn it down, is what he said. Over our dead bodies, literally, as he retweets McConnell's statement that he, McConnell, will have a vote on the Senate floor with uh, over Trump's pick for the Supreme Court over his dead body, over our dead bodies, he says literally. Again, this is in an article in Breitbart over the weekend. Bo Willeman, we're shutting this country down. This is a tweet. If Trump and McConnell try to ram through an appointment before the election. You've got some crazy, insane professors. Here's one. Emmett McFarlane. I believe he's this is he Canadian political science professor, University of Waterloo. Burn Congress down before letting Trump try to appoint anyone to SCOTUS. You get the idea here. There's others as well. They've lost their whatever's left of their minds. And there's a reason for this. There's a reason for this. And that, look, okay, so there are groups. There are groups of people that make up the electorate, that make up the ideological framework, the political spectrum here in this nation. I am a conservative. I am a Christian conservative. You'll hear me say things on this program like, I don't need government to try to be my savior. That role has already been filled and perfectly been filled, by the way. As a Christian, my savior is Jesus. Now, you don't have to believe that. Whether I believe it or you believe it doesn't make that statement true or false. It stands on its own merits that Jesus is our Savior, not the not the government. It doesn't mean the government doesn't have a role. It doesn't mean that we are anarchists. It just means that we understand the nature of man, the nature of mankind, and that given the opportunity to accumulate power and control over other people, it has been proven time and time and time and time and time again that people choose uh, to to abuse their power. This is in the makeup of humanity. This is this is what we've created since the fall. This uh, one of many negative things that we've created, but this absolute power corrupts absolutely. That is a that is an absolute truth. That is a maxim that you can, I guess, kind of hang your hat on. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. So. That's the the spot on the political spectrum that I feel. Government has a role, but that role should be limited. Citizens should be able to tell the government what they should do versus the government giving citizens permission to live their lives. That's not how this works. Our founders went to great lengths to outline this, to, to enumerate the powers of the federal government, making sure that they – uh, that it, the federal government, did not become abusive and out of control. And, of course, it has become that, and it's a daily fight to to push back where the tentacles of government have reached into our daily lives, into our businesses, into our churches, into our homes, etc. So that's where I fall on the spectrum. But there's a, a wide variety of people on the spectrum, and there's another group on the spectrum – Another group on the spectrum that specifically filled this space that says they don't have a God. They're the atheistic, radical left. Uh, 
the atheistic radical left. They don't believe in God. They don't believe really in anything other than other than government. In fact, I've gone as far to say government is their God. And that is, again, a speck. That's not all Democrats. That's not even all leftists. But there is a group. I don't know the percentages, just like I can't tell you the percentages that are constitutional uh, conservatives and Christians. I'm just simply saying that there's a group on that spectrum. And so when they see the seat of Ruth Bader Ginsburg vacated, you have to understand what she represents. She represents the ideology that they embrace. She represents, she was a someone who helped further that ideology. I Look, the, we'll talk about the role of the court. There's just a whole lot of things to talk about here. But I, I want you to understand, and as I've, I've thought about this, I actually thought more about this over the weekend than I have anything that we've talked about in a long, long time. I spent, I basically thought, read, contemplated about this conversation we were having today um, for a good chunk of the weekend. Both days, just kind of putting my thoughts together, having conversations with friends and so forth. So there's a lot that we can get into today. But we have to understand for the radical left, for the people who are saying burn it down, to burn that segment. It's I was telling someone yesterday, probably my my wife, we have to understand, we have to understand for someone, let's, let's say that's a Christian like me, to have someone like Trump fill Ruth Bader Ginsburg's seat is akin, is akin to someone trying to replace a pastor, let's say in a church I attend, with an atheist pastor, with the antithesis of what our pastor should be. And to the left, to the radical atheist left. This is a segment of the left, but it's a sizable chunk, I should I should mention. The, the people who are the most irate and just out of their minds about this, this is government is their God. And so it's as though they have – Trump is diluting the royal priesthood, so to speak, with his, with his pick. This is unacceptable to them. And I, as I thought about that over the weekend, I, I, I think that's a pretty fair assessment of where, again, that particular segment of the left – now, there's others that are just upset. They don't want to see the political consequences of this. They are trying to um, inappropriately apply the standards and lessons and what happened in 2016 with Merrick Garland and with Mitch McConnell back then. They're trying to say, well, there's the – that rule should apply here, and we'll talk about that as well. That's not – it's not a synonymous situation at all, but for the radical atheist left, those that view government as God, this is sacred ground. This is sacred territory. This cannot happen. That's why they're, they believe they're morally justified. I'm telling you when you read these tweets about burning it down, they believe that there's nothing. They believe that that is a necessary, a necessary conclusion to their line of thinking. It is so sacred they cannot allow President Trump 
They cannot allow him to engage in uh, this just destruction of their sacred belief, the role of government. It's blasphemous in their minds. That's how they view this. So I wanted to share that off the top. I wanted to talk about the person of Ruth Bader Ginsburg a little bit, the humanity of this. I wanted to set forth this this the scene for the battle. And now I want to get into some specifics. I want to talk about what should happen. What does the Constitution say? How is this different from 2016? Is it different from 2016? Lots more as well. Quick timeout is in order. You're listening here to the home of conservative, not bitter talk. I'm your host, Todd Huff, back in just a minute. Welcome back. So I want to take a moment here to talk about the role of the Supreme Court of the United States of America. I want to talk about the role of the executive branch, the presidency. I want to talk about the role of the legislative branch, the Senate, and the House of Representatives. Because the reason – we have to ask ourselves, why on earth has it gotten this intense about a Supreme Court nomination? Literally, where they're threatening to burn it down. And yes, I saw the meme. (laughs) The the meme with the uh, what is the meme Oz with the uh, I showed you the meme of the Jake State Farm Jake from State Farm meme. There's the remember the Jake from State Farm meme where the guy was talking to State Farm late at night. His wife comes down. He th- she thinks he's on the phone with some woman. Who is she? She asks Jake from State Farm. She grabs the phone. Jake at State Farm. What are you wearing? I'm wearing khakis and a red polo or whatever it was funny commercial there's a meme i've seen that shows that shows the lady on the phone with the state farm and she's looking at her husband says something like they say they're going to burn it all down if we appoint if we appoint someone to ruth bader ginsburg's seat before the election and the guy looks at her and says uh, they're already burning it down as it stands you know it's already on fire now they act as though that's some sort of a new concept or they'll burn more of it down how does it get to this point though that's the question how how does it get to this point because if you understand what a supreme court justice does these are supposed to be apolitical now i understand we live in a world <laughs> that's there's really no way to to get to that, but it's supposed to be non-political. There's a reason why at the State of the Union addresses, Supreme Court justices are not supposed to stand and hoot and holler and, cl- and clap and jump up and down when the president makes a comment from the podium in the House of Representatives cheering that president on. You know, they're not standing up and chanting, build that wall or fill that seat or whatever. They might be chanted at a Trump rally. That's not what a Supreme Court justice is supposed to do. They're supposed to maintain at least the perception of uh, you know, political indifference almost. It doesn't mean that they're not political. It doesn't mean that they don't vote. It doesn't mean any of that. It just means that they're supposed to be 
non-political. They're supposed to be interpreting the law. And the reason it's become so intense is because we've, we've, as a nation, not as conservatives, but we as a nation have politicized the high court. It's been politicized. Now, the way that the founders set this up to work is that you have three equal co-branch, uh, three co-equal branches of government. One, of course, is the executive branch. The other uh, is the legislative branch, and the other is the judicial branch. Of course, executive presidency, legislative Congress, which is the Senate and the House of Representatives, and judicial is the Supreme Court. So they they deliberately and intentionally, because again, what I said last segment, because of the nature of humanity, of humankind, to abuse power. They wanted to separate these powers. They wanted to create checks and balances so that one branch could keep the other branch in check. So the president of the United States absolutely, unquestionably, unequivocally has the power to nominate Supreme Court justices when there is a vacancy on the Supreme Court. There is now Sadly, a vacancy on the Supreme Court. That seat was vacated with the passing of Ruth Bader Ginsburg on Friday. Now, you can make any sort of political discussion you want. You, sh- you can say, well, the president shouldn't do this because of the precedent set in 2016, which again we'll talk about with Merrick Garland. But you can't say with the straight face and with intellectual integrity, that he cannot do this. You can say that he shouldn't, and you can cite political reasons. You can cite Merrick Garland. These things crumble, I'll tell you, which we'll talk about. But you cannot say it's not his authority. You can't say that this has never been done before. It absolutely, unequivocally, positively has happened before. In fact, there's people out there that have done the research already and have shown us that this, when Uh, When the president and the Senate are both in a political party's hands, that when there's a vacancy in the final year of – in an election year, a presidential election year, when that happens, vacancies are filled. This is not new – this is not some new and novel thing. They want you to think that it is. They want you to think that Trump going into the presidency was a out-of-control – you know, fascist, he's a totalitarian, this guy can't be constrained by the Constitution and all this stuff. He's going in there, he's acting outside the the rule, the, 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 the powers granted him by the Constitution each and every day, just like a bull in a china shop, just blowing it all up, blowing it all up. The guy should have been impeached, they'll tell you. The guy should have been ushered out of the White House in handcuffs and an orange jumpsuit, not to be confused with Hillary's orange pantsuit. That's what they tell us. This is the narrative it has been since since the day that they dried their tears, the day that their adult Play-Doh dried up, the day that they broke their last crayon when coloring in their adult coloring books, coping with a 2016 presidential Trump victory. Trump presidential victory, I should say. And so this has been the position. They have stirred the pot. They have thrown gasoline on the metaphorical fire. They have they had their viewers, CNN, or, uh, uh, MSNBC, CNN. 
their viewers were convinced, folks, that President Trump was going to be taken out of the White House in handcuffs. Just it was a matter of time. They've believed this for so long. They've been on this up and down emotional roller coaster because they've been told constantly, here's the next thing that'll get this president out. Just hang in there. It's about to happen. And then it doesn't happen. Then they go to the next thing. Then they go to the next thing. Then they go to the next thing. That's why if they lose this election, if Biden loses, if Trump is reelected, they're not, there is a group of people that will not know how to cope with this. They have been emotionally abused, I think, through this. They've been emotionally abused by the media. They've been led to believe things that simply aren't so. They've been led to believe things that would never happen, that in some cases cannot happen, but yet that's what they've been led to believe. And so that's the foundation of that guy who they've been told to hate, who they've been told is a totalitarian Nazi dictator who builds concentration camps on our southern border. That's the guy. That's the guy that is now about to appoint someone to fill the seat. And it's unacceptable. And you combine that with the, the, the portion of the, of the base of the Democrat Party, the radical, the radical godless left. And that's not all of them. Please don't misunderstand me or put words in my mouth, but that certainly exists. The atheist godless radical left who believes government is effectively their religion. You combine these things and you can see that we are at literally the tipping point, the boiling point. This is where they get off being justified in their minds, telling us they're going to burn it down. They're going to burn down the Capitol building if Trump tries to fill this seat. How on earth did it get here? We've politicized this. They've politicized this. Judicial activism. We're going to continue talking about the role of government. This never should be the case. You know what? To be honest, I should not. We, we use the words conservative and liberal justices, and that's really – when I use those terms, it's not the same. I don't mean them in the same way that I mean them in the political sense. Really, the words to use should be judicial activist or someone who interprets the law. That's it. I don't care. This may blow some of your minds. I don't care if someone is a political – Liberal, if they can truly interpret the law and the Constitution as it was written, they can believe whatever politically they want. But if they can, if they can just simply adhere to their role and responsibility as a Supreme Court justice, it makes no difference what their personal votes are. In fact, I think it was Kavanaugh who says, if you're a, if you're a jurist, if you're a judge, justice, and you don't occasionally disagree with the decisions that you're making on the court then you're not doing your job. In other words, what he was saying was, politically, I don't believe X, Y, or Z should be the case, but that's what the law says. And my job as a judge is to interpret and to apply that law as it is written, as it is intended to be understood, and to apply that consistently whether I like it or not. But that's not what happens. The left views the court as a group of unelected people that they can use to further the cause of liberalism without having to face the American people for re-election. That's how they view this. That's why this is so upsetting to them. And I've got to take a break. You're listening here to the more on this. <clears throat> Excuse me. When we get back, you're listening to Conservative Not Better Talk. I'm your host, Todd Huff, back in just a minute.
Supreme Court seats are not supposed to be so politicized, but that's what's happened because because of judicial activism. I think the best example is what we've seen. Um, regardless of what you think about the issue of same-sex marriage, I think that that is perhaps the best one. Constantly, consistently, the issue of same-sex marriage was defeated on ballot referendums and all sorts of all sorts of things. But the Supreme Court ultimately decided we're going to make this the law of the land. Poof, magically. Same court that often can't find the Second Amendment, the right to keep and bear arms. They suddenly found the right of marrying someone of the same gender in the Constitution. Now, again, if we want to talk about what the law should be, that's one thing. If we want to talk about what the Constitution says, that's something – those things are not necessarily the same. Some laws are not – I mean some some things are not built into the Constitution. Some things clearly are. Other things have to be turned into statutes. So anyway, they have – they have – well – there were fights about about same-sex marriage until the Supreme Court made its ruling. And then suddenly it was over, over and done with. Over and done with, Republicans said, well, that's it. I guess what do you do about that? Meanwhile, meanwhile, after the countless losses and uh, ballot initiatives that they – the pro-same-sex marriage crowd was you know, making the case for, or I guess, I guess – uh, their argument on same-sex marriage was losing at the ballots, at the ballot box, but yet they never, they never gave up. It's only over when, <laughs> when the liberal viewpoint is instituted and declared the law of the land. Which, of course, it wasn't. It wasn't really the law of the land. The Supreme Court just, Supreme Court just. Um, Sorry, looking at the headline here. Pelosi will not rule out impeachment to block the nominee. I mean, they are completely desperate here. Again, this is they're they're fighting to save their their religion. I watch Fox News in the background here um, during the program, and I just saw that that headline. So, but this is the the reason this is so politically tense is because the court has become politicized and it shouldn't be that way the job of the of the congress is to make laws the job of the president is to enforce laws the job of the courts the job of the court is to interpret the law that's overly simplistic all branches have you know, other responsibilities but that's essentially Essentially the truth. Congress is a political body. The president is a political office. But the Supreme Court is supposed to be apolitical or non-political. It's supposed to be something that kind of a group that steps back from the political fray and looks at something and says, what does the law say? But see, that's not what the left does. It's not what people who believe that the court should be used to advance liberalism in, in most cases that's not what it's actually used for in a practical sense. Instead, it is used it, – well, it's not used to interpret the law. It's used to create the law. It's used to further the liberal agenda, and that, my friends, is wrong, and we've allowed that collectively to happen in this nation. And that's why on its face, 
if Trump nominates someone that just interprets the law, this should not upset anybody. It shouldn't upset anybody, which is when he, I mean, he's given us a list of the people. Shouldn't matter what someone thinks about abortion on the court. It should matter what does the law say and how does a person read the law? Do you read it and interpret it for what it says? Do you read it, interpret it for uh, the the you know what the law was clearly designed to do, or are you trying to just create your own preference? It shouldn't matter if someone is pro life or pro choice on the Supreme Court if they just simply interpret the law. Now I know that that's living a little bit in a naive world because this is again everything is political. And the left has done this for a long time. Judicial activism has become one of their favorite tools to use because there's no political accountability. None. None whatsoever. You can't, you know, whoever's nominated for the Supreme Court here is not going to be on a ballot ever. And so they like that. The ones that tell us they're fighting to save our democracy actually prefer to use Supreme Court justices, liberals, to advance their cause because... Because there's nothing that the voter can do about it. Nothing the voter can do about it. So let's look at the the difference here between 2016 and 2020. We'll do that after the break. Merrick Garland, let's get into that. Let's talk about that. Why is it different? So much, folks, to talk about with this on a Monday. We'll get into it after the break. Sit tight. Be back in just a minute. going to have to talk about this Merrick Garland thing next hour, but I'm going to do my best here to squeeze in a little bit of this. So what is different between 2016 and 2020, right? In 2016, Antonin Scalia tragically passed away. Conservative Supreme Court justice, someone who sought to interpret the words of the Constitution and the statutes as, as statutes as intended, And he passed away in, what was it, March of uh, March of 2016. It was an election year, but the Republicans held the Senate. This is important because the president makes the nomination. But again, we have this separate, these separate but equal branches of government. So the Senate, the Senate gets to confirm. The Senate doesn't have to confirm. The Senate plays an advise and consent role. They give their advice to the president, and they give their consent if they so desire. The Senate is its own its own animal, its own you know, uh, it's it's in the legislative branch. It gets to have that is part of its responsibility, no matter what anyone thinks about it. And so Republicans were in control in 2016 of the Senate, and they did give advice to then-President Barack Obama. Their advice was, don't send us anyone to nominate or to confirm in 2016. Obama officially nominated Merrick Garland back in March of 2016. Merrick Garland's nomination ran through the end of Obama's term, which thankfully, well, I guess maybe the beginning of January of 2016, 
2017. And so then Trump nominated Neil Gorsuch. That's what happened. The Senate did fulfill its obligations. You can say there could be political consequences for that. You absolutely can say that. You can say that they shouldn't, you know, the, the Democrats can make the case of over why that's not acceptable. And people could have voted for Democrat senators over Republicans because of that. That's absolutely a political issue. But to say that they couldn't or to say that they are inconsistent here, no, their, their advice, their decision was we know. I mean just put yourself in the Republican Senate's position back in 2016. We know that President Obama is going to nominate someone who's going to be a judicial activist for liberalism, someone who is going to end up voting with Sonia Sotomayor, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Elena Kagan, Breyer. And so we want to make this an election issue. We want the American people to decide. We're going to stake our election futures in part upon this. We've, we've given the president our advice, and our advice is keep your nominees to yourself. We're going to let the next president make this nomination. By the way, the next president could be Hillary Rodham Clinton. Back in 2016, that was absolutely the case. In fact, if you pay attention to the stupid prognosticators and predictors on election day, she had a 98.1% chance of winning. I remember tweeting this out or whatever from Huffington Post. People were prepared to have their celebratory, you know, festivals that night, honoring the great then president-elect Hillary Clinton. That never came to pass. Republicans staked a lot on this. The Senate decided because we don't want to see more judicial activists on the court, we are not going to do this. We're, we're going to eventually do this, but we're not going to do this now. That's not the case at this point in time. The Senate is in ideological agreement, by and large. It's, it's a broad statement given the variety of senators that we have. But the senators on the you know, Republican majority today, by and large, agree with ideologically and the role of a Supreme Court justice. They agree with the president. So why wouldn't they? There's just because they in 2016 when the circumstances were different. The Senate has a rule. The Senate says, no, we're going to let this go to the election. This year they think, look, we have the absolute authority here. This is perfectly within our constitutional rights, constitutional whatever role. We're going to do this. So that's what they're doing. More on this. I just There's, there's so much more to discuss, but I've got to take a break. Listening to Conservative Not Better Talk, I'm your host, Todd Huff, back in just a minute. Moments of our number one, but folks, do not worry, do not fret, do not be afraid. This program is actually continuing our number two. You can catch us on Facebook, you can catch us on YouTube, you can catch us on Periscope slash Twitter. Heck, I think we've even got something on Twitch now. <laughs> so, anyway, this program is streaming in a lot of ways, a lot of places here. We'll continue this discussion. There's so much to get to here. This critically important time. Republicans have to 
I guess, uh, buckle up for what's about to happen here and politically walk through this fire. But it is time to fill that seat. Folks, I got to go see you in hour two. SDG.